again. Why don't you turn around and say hello to somebody if you're a visitor here, like I am these days. You're all very welcome. Uh, it's the first time I've been here in about four months. Um, if it's your first time, you're really, really welcome. Um, I, know, uh, I know quite a few faces, but I know there's a few of you who uh, I don't know. Um, I went to somebody this morning and introduced myself and said, hey, so yeah, I've been coming here a year. I'm like, uh-oh. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good sign and a bad sign all at the same time. Uh, just before I get into this, I want to say something um, just really quickly uh, before we get into our series today. But I want to say, I am so freaking proud of this church. Like, honestly, I, I, you know, when you, you plant something and everybody told me that this was a mad place to plant a church, I agreed with them, but we still had to be obedient to God. And um, for, for a small group of people, you punch ridiculously above your weight. And, um, you know, uh, just on even on a financial tone for the small group of people, to get to where we're at in this building right now is actually a miracle. You, you don't even know how miraculous that is. And uh, I know when you're in the middle of building something, it's a pain in the backside. But can I really encourage you for the next two weeks, right now we're paying rent in this place and a mortgage in that place. So we need to get all hands on deck in there to get that place finished. Um, some of the interim guys have been down over this last week. I've been down. We're going to put a big push in for the next two weeks. Uh, and I am putting my neck in the line because we don't have any choice. We need to be in that building for the 1st of July. So that means we need to get this one stripped out and cleared out and in there. So there might be just a little bit of no lights next week when you come in here and a few other things as we begin to do that. Um, they have rented this building here, which is helpful. And also they want to keep the radiators, which is really helpful to us because we had a bit of a lag left over of some rent back in, in COVID times. Uh, so that, that's a, a little bit of an answer to prayer. But just in regards to the new building, um, a couple of things on the way down. Uh, I love coming here because it like takes us back to where I was, where we were like a lot of years ago. And um, I, I kind of, it's like Antrim's a little bit ahead of you guys, but it's kind of like, I can see where you're going. You might not see that, but I can see it. And I can see with the movement from here to that new building, um, you know, there's an old saying, if you build it, they will come. I'm not so sure that's true anymore. Um, but I want to say this. On the way down, I, I had this picture uh, of a house. It was a, a whitewashed house. It was like an old Irish house. You know, you imagine two chimneys and the three windows upstairs and the front, big front door underneath. And um, um, I saw a picture of it with nothing on it. And then I saw it absolutely covered in ivy. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, what's that? What does that mean? And I felt like the Lord said that um, right now there's an ivy shoot growing in the wall of the building. And as this goes, that the ivy will eventually cover the whole of the house. And I said, but God, that's not necessarily a good thing. So I said, Lord, what is the house? He said, that's Ireland. And I said, what's your ivy? And uh, what's the ivy? And he said, it's my presence. And I have felt like this building will resource the future of what of what we do. I, I, I need you to know that we didn't just buy this building on the basis of actually doing a local church, which is what it's for. We, we never envisaged a church building. We envisaged a community hub. And those two things are very different. And, um, you know, a church is a place where we come to worship God, but a community hub is where the community come in and interact with the church. And uh, um, I'm going to preach on that today, but you need to understand that this isn't a come and see. This is a go and tell. All right, for primary school teachers, okay? It's a, it's, a, it's a different mindset and we need to change our mindset a little bit of that. Um, I also feel that, that resource, the resource of that building financially, if we set it upright, um, could actually really advance the kingdom across Ireland. And that's what I really see that as, as going on. And the Lord really spoke to us. I'll never forget the day Thomas, Fiona and I had an ad hoc meeting. I hadn't even had an elders meeting and I shook the man's hand. 
Um, and uh, I remember thinking, you know, that's it. Now we're in the middle of it all. I'm not going to lie, we need about 30,000 pounds to finish it off, just from where we're at right now. Um, um, what's gone in has literally disappeared. Um, but just to get it to where we need to have it just for, for now, we will continue to work on that as we go along. Uh, we're talking to some other folks just about uh, what that looks like in regards to business um, going forward. And uh, I've never been a church leader who wanted to have business, but sometimes we've got to bring business into the church in order to resource the church. Um, because unfortunately, with the numbers and the way we go, most people don't tithe anymore. And, and uh, I want to encourage you, if you're coming here, please get bought in buy in, you know, hook, come on on in. If you're sitting out on the periphery and you're kind of not involved, trust me, if you, find me, I'll give you a job to do, okay? And that's, that's above that. But honestly, please come in and get involved. We want you to serve and it's important that you serve in the church. If you're coming as a spectator, that's okay. If you're just testing the waters right now, keep coming. But if you're making a decision to be in, then get in. I, I'm, a, I'm an all or nothing type of person. So get in the plunge pool and come in and help us build this. And uh, I, I really, really believe, I, honestly, I'm excited. I'm so proud of, of, of what's happened here and where we're going. I just want to encourage you, keep on going, uh, keep going. I know I don't, I'm not dying just as much and that some of that's been deliberate on my part um, but please know that the Andrew folks love you dearly uh, you know and it's not you're not our little si- you're not the little uh, orphan sister who's please know that we're not we're doing this together we're in this together it's just a different environment but I love the presence of God here I love what you're carrying and keep on going but come in get involved and help us dig the trenches you know it's uh, and that's what I'm going to preach on this morning um, one other little thing I wanted to say is just that um, I also felt like there's um, a change coming and multicultural, I think it's going to happen across Northern Ireland. If you go to the south right now, there's such a multicultural change coming. And in Northern Ireland, we tend to lag about 20 years behind the rest of the planet. Um, but I kind of feel like the Lord's saying the, the cultures are going to start coming here. And we can't be pedantic about being Northern Irish. Do, do you hear me? All right. We can't just be Northern Irish anymore. We've got to actually embrace the cultures. Jordan DeMarker gave us a word a few years back, and he said, Ireland, don't be disappointed. For years you, give, you, you went to the nations and you gave them Christianity. Now the nations are coming back to you to help you give Ireland Christianity. Um, and we can't be upset by that when that does. And I'm, I'm thankful for the nations that I see even in here this morning. You're all really welcome. Come and get part and do all of that. Um, um, I do want us to be in there for the 1st of July. Uh, that's from a purely financial decision. So please come up in. Thomas will hand you a paintbrush. And a paint. If you can't paint, trust me, neither can any of us. So it's just come in and do all of that. If you can hammer nuts and bulls, uh, some of the technical stuff. Ian Watt, um, who's a technical genius, has been, we've been putting a lot of cabling in the building. You don't understand. There's miles and miles of cabling going in there right now just to get us set up for what we do. And uh, we'll see how we go. Anyway, have you got your Bibles with me? We're uh, starting on a, we've been in a series called Gone Fishing, which is really interesting. As a fisherman, I didn't come up with this series title. It was Mike. Um, this was Mike's series. So it was kind of, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm liking the Finding Nemo logo, but anyway, there it is. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to me? We'll look five. Uh, we're going to read from one, uh, first one to ten. Um, one day, as Jesus was standing in the Lake of Galilee, you know it's kind of interesting. I, we a few months ago we were at Galilee. I think so. He was was at, a couple of us were there, and um, it's just quite a stunning place. It, it really is. If you, I'm going to organise another trip to Israel. If you like to go on that get in quickly as soon as I advertise it because the spaces tend to go quite quickly. But uh, the Sea of Galilee is just a beautiful place. It's so peaceful, tranquil, and you can understand uh, it's teeming with life. The, the lake is just full of fish. And uh, anyway, the people were crowded around him listening to the word of God. So Jesus was preaching and people were being nosy. And when you say a crowd in Galilee, you've got to understand back then, if 500 people was a crowd, 
the way that it was and how small it was, that was a huge amount of people. Uh, I saw at the water two boats um, on the edge of the water, uh, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and one of them belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little bit out of shore. That's so he could see all of the people. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, I've worked hard all night and I haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they, they sink. Is that me doing that, is it? Do you want to give me a handheld? The batteries. Well, we'll give it a go and see. That was loose, so it was. Um, they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And that's, that's, some, that, that's some fish. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to buy some new sound equipment. <laughs> um, uh, and, and by standards of fish catch, it sounds like a, a particularly big one. Um, Simon Peter saw and he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. I mean, it's such a weird response to do for someone who's just done that, you know. And uh, it'd be typical of Peter, who just was deeply insecure. Uh, for all, all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish that were taken. And so were James and the son of Zebedee, um, uh, who were sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishers of people. So they pulled up their boats ashore and left everything and followed him. I mean, that one sentence... You know, they pulled up their, their, their nets, left their boats on the shore, and began to follow him. We, we as Christians are called Christians for a reason. The, the word Christian comes from uh, a derogatory term in around 100 years after Jesus uh, had left. And it was these, it really was called, there were little mini Christs. Um, Christianos was, was the name that was given to him. It was derogatory. But we're called in our daily life to follow Jesus. And sometimes it's really hard to do that. Whenever you know there's a calling in your life to follow Jesus, but the world and what's going on in our own lives um, tends to take precedent, and I understand that. But there's something about how do you blend what you do in your daily life in with what the calling of the Lord is for your life? It's not one or other. It's both together. And I think sometimes some people find that very hard, which is why sometimes people go, well, I'd really love to work for the church. Believe me when I tell you, it's not as much fun as you think it is. All right? Um, when you're working 85 hours a week, really not getting paid an awful lot of money for the hours that you do. Uh, and as I always say, what I do up here is about 3% of what I do. Generally, it's running with a shovel and a brush cleaning up messes. That's generally what you do when you're a pastor of a church. But it's how do you do normal life with the calling of God in our own life? You see, this comes down to obedience. Everybody say obedience. Now, the problem is obedience is a strange word because for most of us as a kid, we were told to be obedient. And what's the one thing we weren't? Obedient. So obedience sometimes in our mind conjures up this really bad thing. And yet as Christians, Jesus gives us this great commission. Um, in Matthew 28, he said, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. 
But there's a problem that's creeped into the church today. And it's not just in our church, but it's right across the world. And it's the same complaint I hear pastors make. Um, There's a word right now going around in the church world, and it's called apathy. It seems to have happened after COVID. And what happens is whenever COVID had come in, we got into this lockdown. We, We actually quite liked being lazy for a while. It was kind of nice not to have to do anything for seven months. Where you put your feet up in front of the fire. You didn't have to go to church. You didn't have to go to work. You didn't have to do anything. And I don't know whether it's a, I don't know whether it's a satanic plan for the world or whether it's just the nature of what it is. But what I do know is this is we come back into a very different church. And apathy has crept in entirely, not just to church, into life. You have a conversation with a boss today. Can't get anybody to do a day's work anymore. And here's what they want. They want 80,000 pounds a year as a job and want to work five hours to get it. And there's a cultural shift right now going on where people actually want to take the path of least resistance. They want an easy life. And yet being called to the Christian life is no means easy. And, uh, you know, you hear it here in this passage. They worked all night and we caught nothing. Simon Peter was, ap- was full of apathy. And and sometimes I think in the church, we kind of go, well, I've been evangelizing, I've been a Christian for years and I haven't seen a harvest. Or it's just not the same anymore. You know, it's, it, we, we can creep into this apath, apathetic state where, where we, we don't really want to do it anymore, but we'll do it because we'll have to or because Jesus tells us to do it. We do it begrudgingly. And I kind of think we need to have a wee reality check in our minds. We need to come back into the truth. I want to let you into something that I've been mulling over for the last few weeks. And, and I think it's, it's, it's worth saying. And I want to crack something today because I've been thinking about this. Everything that is worth, worth value, anything that is about the beauty of the Lord is always uphill. It never comes easy. Things always seem uphill. It's always hard work. It's always pushing through. And I realize that one of the problems in the world today is that many people don't understand that if it's worth it, it will cost you. Everything that has value will cost you something if it's got worth. The problem is it's generally uphill to achieve it. John Maxwell wrote a book called Intentional Living. I've been going through some uh, new books again with our staff. I've been going back into some of the leadership stuff because with COVID and the new building and everything's going on, you sometimes forget that you need to keep training your staff. And uh, one of the books we've been looking at is Intentional Living. I really want to encourage you by John Maxwell. And it's how we live our lives. You see, he says that there's a challenge today that if ever they went, that we've got these uphill hopes, uphill dreams, uphill passions. Everything seems uphill. And the challenge is that we have all these uphill hopes but we've got these downhill habits. And I really want to break one of those today. You see, over the past 25 years, the church has changed in its function than it ever has been in the previous 300 years. Technology and the world has changed incredibly quickly. And and we've become what is known as a seeker-sensitive church. Well, seeker-sensitive churches have been going for the last 15, 20 years. And what does that look like? Well, we've seen millions of people come to church. And in many ways, it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. And many people have come to the Lord through that that kind of move. And over the years, we've become incredibly irresponsible. You see, what we've done is we've palmed off our own responsibility for evangelism. We've given responsibility away from personal. We've given it to the church. 
And, and I suppose it was just coming in whenever I first became a Christian. You see, the whole thing was invite people to church. Invite people to a Christian event. And if you bring them to the Christian event, the preacher at the front will give a, give a, a calling. They'll become a Christian and then they get saved and then they can come and join the church. And, and the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm giving that a hard time today is because we've moved the responsibility from a personal conviction of the calling of God in our lives over to the church. We've made what should be honed, well-honed, uh, sharp edge tools of evangelism. We've lost the plot and we've given it to the church. And instead of go to, we've, we've issued a great invite and we invite people to church. And don't get me wrong, I want you to invite people to church. But if it's cost you your evangelistic expertise, your skill sets, then we've lost the plot. I've got a question for you today. What are you and I going to do about the 53% of people who say that they'll never enter the door of a church? What are you and I going to do with the 53% of people who said they will never, it's not on their radar, when they have trouble in their life, they don't think of a pastor, they will never enter the door of the church. You say, John, what do you mean? I says, well, are you not understanding it? Survey says 53% of people will never, and I mean never, come to church. How are we, if we've set up that precedent, going to reach those people? And there's something wrong. You see, these people aren't coming to church anytime soon. These people are not even remotely thinking in any way when they have a life crisis that Christianity is the thing that's going to help them. They don't see it. They don't know it. Um, the people I fish with, hunt with, the people that I hang around with, they, don't, they see the church as part of the problem. And unfortunately, we live in a post-Christian environment where, where, where people don't think, I know I need a pastor to help me. That's not even close to being on the radar. Let me tell you something. You're not good enough, fast enough, smart enough, big enough to get them to come to church. So what are you going to do to the 53% of people who'll never hear about the Lord? And yet we still got this great commission. Would it tell you something? The business world understands this. If the business world worked out that there was 53% of something not getting something, what do you think somebody who's smart in business would do? They would be coming up with strategy and vision and direction and marketing campaigns to reach that 53% because they love money more than the church loves the lost. And we've lost our way. I only wish God's people would love lost souls as much as the business community loves money. And we've lost our ability to see. And the business community get this. You, let me tell you something. When they have a 53% of an untapped market, they will go after that with all of their soul and all their might because they love money. And what does the church do? I, 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 I don't know how to do it, John. Let me ask the question. Are you called to church or are you called to your community? I'll, I'll say it. Uncomfortable. Who's uncomfortable this morning? Well, you should be. Maybe, who missed me? <laughs> See, if we don't get excited, hear me in this, excited about lost people, we've actually lost the plot. And the problem with the middle class church, and I use that word deliberately, is that we've got far too flippant comfortable with our nice wee group of friends, our nice wee group of people. And the world has left us behind 
because we did something that we didn't realize we were doing in inviting people to church. We brought them into this. And then we made them our wee group of people. And we became totally alien to the rest of the world. So when they look in. And there's another problem. When you ask the church. I asked some of my friends lately. Uh, Do the Christians you know look any different to you? Every single one of them said no. I says, what do you, none, not, no different? No. Every Christian they knew, they didn't see anything different about the way that they lived their lives. And the world has gone and got itself into a difficult place and the church has sat back idly waiting for them to come in or fall in the door to church. They listen to me, there's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. But 53% of the people in our community are going to hell unless we mobilize. Unless we get this back in our heart that we need to see that there's a lost world out there who need to connect both relationally, emotionally, and physically to Heavenly Father who wants to come back and give them a Heavenly Father in order to reclaim the lost children of his world, the orphans of this world. And there's no hope of these people unless the church changes its mindset. And we pastors have to stop being okay about building just church, which is what I do. But my job isn't just to build a nice, happy church with a group of people who are really nice and happy and build community. My job is to build a bunch of an army who understand something about the kingdom of God, that there's a lost world out there and it's your job to go. And my job is to lead a charge. Now, the problem is this. When you come in, the church is so dang broken right now that we have to spend probably the first two years when they come into church, helping them deal with their own crap that they've picked up in their own lives. And 20 years ago, when someone got saved, you hand them a, a leaflet or a Every Day with Jesus and a new Bible, and you put them in a small group and sent them to prayer meeting. You can't do that anymore. The world has changed. So if that's what you think discipleship looks like, it, it's not. Let me tell you what it is now. There's a whole new chunk. There's about two years before you get to that point. Well, you have to deal with the broken family, broken lives, broken marriages, broken children, broken everything. Fix that first before you can hand them a Bible and say, here, let me help you understand about the kingdom of God. Why? Because they don't have a clue who they are. Listen, the work that the Lord does in you is always greater than the work he does through you, but he has to do a work in you first. You can't go and lead people to Jesus because it's the blind leading the blind if we don't sort some of this stuff out. And we've got a secret. The problem is we think church is growing. No, it's not. The church isn't growing with new believers, or if it is, it's growing very slowly. It's growing with people that are disillusioned by de- denomination. And they're falling into churches like ours. And we go, look, our, our church is great. It's growing. What's it growing with? Disgruntled people. <laughs> You're right, Raymond. Then what is the Lord asking us to do? We have to discover what breaks the Lord's heart. We have to discover that he brought his son to earth in order to give us a way when there was no way. To connect a lost world back to the Father. The problem is this, we've got three relationships that we also have to fix. There's three relationships. Love the God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's your three relationships. We spend a long time dealing with a relationship with God. I spend a long time helping people deal with a relationship with each other and themselves. In order to know who you are, to love other people, in order to love God, those things are also connected more than you even know. And the Lord's asking us to capture something of the heart of him. We've dumbed down evangelism, folks. We've made it easy for ourselves. We've made it easy. We've made it so easy not to give a hope of our glory. 
We invite people to church and we've lost our heart for evangelism. We've lost the edge of evangelism. We've lost our evangelism school and our skills because we've dumbed it all down. And other people in church ministry, um, we'll leave it to them. Do you know many people come to me and say, John, I brought a friend to church today. Can you go talk to him? I'm like, what? You brought your friend and you want me to talk to him? He's your friend. You talk to him. But I don't know what to say. I'm, have you been listening to me for the last 12 years? And this is what's going on right now. You see, I can't, I can't be the holy burden with the people that the Lord has given me a burden for. I've got friends that I'm praying for, family. I got to pray for my sister a month ago. My, 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 she's my little sister, but she's the eldest of the three sisters. And wait, many of you know my, my mom passed away in January and she was really struggling with it. And, and I helped her through this. And she's been telling everybody that my brother prayed for me and it was the weirdest prayer I've ever had in my life. Do you know why? For the first time she encountered the Holy Spirit. She didn't know what it was. No clue. No idea. And what we've taught people about evangelism is all downhill. Invite them to church. You give anyone a choice, bring a lost person to church and let the church do it versus taking responsibility for the loss on your own shoulders to understand, I know which one's easier for you to do. We've allowed people for 25 years an easy way, low fruit. Let's just catch them as they fall in the door because 53% when they're done celebrating, when we're done celebrating how amazing our Sunday is and how we've encountered Jesus and how great that is, there's still 53% of the world that are lost and going to hell in a handguard and we're in here worshiping the Lord. Now hear me, that's part of our calling. I want to implore you today, how do we do this? Because people often will give you a hard time about what we're not doing. I want to give you an encouragement about what we should be doing. First Corinthians 9, 19, 23, Paul gives us a blueprint. This is what he said. Even though I'm free, oh my goodness, even though I'm free of demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily became a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Listen to this. Religious, non-religious Meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I don't take on their way of life. I keep my bearings in Christ, but I entered into their world trying to experience things from their point of view. I became just about every sort of servant that there is in my attempts to lead those to meet the God-saving life that I have. I did all of this because of the message I didn't just walk to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. And Paul gives us intentional. Got five really quick things. Good fishermen go where the fish are located. Good fishermen go where the fish are located. If you're not got a fishing pool that you know where there's fish that need to be caught, you need to go find a fresh fishing pool. What does that look like? Just go get involved in the community. Go brush a street. I, I don't care what it is. Go and be around people that aren't, aren't, aren't church people. In fact, the worse they are, the better for you it is. Go, go find a new pool to fish in. Paul did this by finding ways to serve people. He, he, be, he, he put value in people by going to serve them. He says, I'm not a servant. I'm going to voluntary. By the way, he didn't get paid for this. 
I'm voluntarily going to go to the community to become a servant. I'm not a servant. I'm going to volunteer. I'm just going to go. Why? Because I'm going to add value to those people by going and serving them. That's why we do what we do in this community. Every time we put a free bouncy castle out there or a phone party or whatever, or we do something from here where we bless this community, we are serving that community. Why? We add value to it. And it's not just to see people come into the Lord, though I hope the byproduct is that somebody comes and talks to us about Christ. But what I've learned is this, is that the more you bless and bless and bless and bless, we just get apathetic. We're wasting all that money and there's no fruit. Should we never get a soul into this church? We should still do that. Why? Because it's, it's, it's a visible face of a church in a community to go, hey, we're not, we're not as mad as what you think those other Christians are like. And that's the other problem. Stop being a weird Christian. The world is full of them. Good grief, half of them are in our church. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> Christians are just weird sometimes. Stop using language that's weirdo Christian spiel. Just be normal. You're laughing because you know what I'm saying is true. Just go and have an honest conversation with someone. You know, they want to talk to you about sex. Oh, I couldn't talk to them about that. <laughs> Listen, that's what the world wants to know about. And you've got a truth answer. They go talk to them about things that nobody else is talking to them about. And they'll start asking you questions. And you better be ready. Now, don't give them the old hang them over hell for half an hour. That's not going to work anymore. It, worked, it didn't work for 40 years. It ain't going to work now. Be honest. Hey, you know what? I'm still struggling with that. I haven't quite got that one worked out. Huh? You're not a perfect Christian? Stop trying to be. You're not. And we dress this stuff up. I realize when it comes to sharing my faith that I have to earn the right to do it. How do I do that? It's build relationship. You can't just go and tell somebody about their lives anymore if you don't have a relationship with them. You used to be able to do it. They don't do it. That's why stadiums used to be full. Years ago, I invite them to a stadium and Billy Graham would bring thousands of people and they'd all get saved. And they ain't filling the stadiums anymore. So how are we doing it? Well, we're not is the truth. But there's still a world out there who want to ask you questions about faith. Do you know during COVID when we were knocking those doors, the amount of people wanted to stand and just talk on a doorstep? Do you know how many lonely people there are out there? I could hardly get away from doorsteps from people wanting to talk to me about God. What did I tell you something? If you've never knocked a door because you're too scared, let me introduce you to some of the apostles who got hung upside down, boiled, beaten alive for their faith, and you're too scared to go knock a door of a neighbor? Really? Is that what we've come to? How I value people will be how I view them. If you view them as lost people and you take pity on them, that won't work either. Value them more highly than yourself. Value the people that are hardest to love higher than yourself. Good fishermen understand how fish behave. You have to know how fish behave today. But we're so removed from the world that we've lost our way. We've lost it. We, we, we have to continually keep learning what's going on out in culture. Why? Because I should be changing it. It shouldn't be changing me. 
And we have to get this new passion for God so loved the world that he did what? He loved the world that he did something about it. What are you doing about it? The Great Commission has never left us. And what Jesus values in every single person, we need to show them that because this world are desperate for love more than you even know. They're broken and damaged and they need a father who wants to bring them back into his kingdom and teach them about love in a way that the world has lost its ability to understand love. You're more like Jesus when you have a greater desire to connect with lost people than you have the right to correct lost people. Let me say that again. You're more like Jesus when you've got an ability to connect with them, not correct them. Unconditionally love them. You see, God doesn't change us to accept us. He accepts us to change us. And we've got to get that around. Here, let me, t- let me give you a tip. I call it the 101 principle. Find 1% that you do agree on and give it 100% of your effort. Find the 1% that you can find agreement on and give it 100% of your effort. You see, for too many years, what we've tried to do is find them the 99% to agree with us and then we give it 1% effort. Find the thing that you can connect with them on. Find the thing that, that you know, it, it doesn't have to be the big subjects. People, people in church, theological people, even this week, a friend of mine, John, um, you know, what do you think about the end times? Are you a post-millennial or a pre-millennialist? I says, you know something, James? I'm, I'm a pan-millennialist. He says, what's that? I said, I don't care because it'll all pan out in the end. And they want to draw you into these stupid arguments. Stay away from stupid arguments. If you want to talk about homosexuality and you're not read up and qualified on how to speak on that as a Christian today and you've got an old school mindset on that, please, for the love of Jesus, do not have a conversation with someone in the world. You'll just make it worse. We, we have to get re-educated. We have to find better tools, better things that help us reach a lost world. You see, here's the thing. Don't let those issues be the sidetrack of showing them Jesus. I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who is a very devout Catholic. We're good friends. We go back to school together. We had a, a massive conversation lately about theology. And he, he clocked something that he hadn't clocked before. And, and we were having this conversation. And I said, you see, forget about all the things that we disagree on. Forget about all of that. I, I won't agree with you on certain things. But let me tell you what I can agree on. I look at you and I, you, you see something in me you want. He says, that's true. I says, what, what is that, John? I says, I think that's the kingdom of heaven that you've never found. He says, how do I get that? I says, I'll show you. I led him in a prayer and prayed for him to receive the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not questioning whether he's a Christian or not, but some Protestants do. You stop it. Give them what they need, not what you think they need. Too many times we we give... And by the way, can I tell you something? Jesus loves Sinn Féin. And what's even worse, he loves the DUP too. But some Christians are better known for their political views than they are for being salt and light. Stop doing foolish things that cut people off. We do it all the time. Paul says, I became everything in order to see it from their point of view. Go and see it from their point of view. Number three, good fishermen use a variety of strategies. 
Listen, you don't have to like them to reach them. But if you don't like them, you'll never reach them. I think that people out there live uncomfortably when they come to check in their hearts. I think we as a church have isolated ourselves because we're afraid of catching the sin aura virus. You know, I can't go to the world. You know, I brought up on it whenever I first became a Christian. You can't go to that pub. You might catch sinfulness down there. I'm going, I just need to stay at home and I caught enough of it. This is a descend problem. It's it's a it's a it's a we're taking the easy path, but God's called us to the hard path. And you know what? It's narrow. There are not many people walking on it these days. If you're not immersed, it's what I call crossover. You have to learn to cross over. What's that mean? If you've never crossed over, you'll not know what I'm talking about. But if you've ever crossed over, you'll know that the world out there is a really rough place. And it's a real nice place to go and visit, but you don't want to live there because it's easy to come back into our Christian bubbles and stay in our nice safe worlds. But if you've never crossed over somewhere along the way, I fish and hunt with the roughest creatures on the planet. They are rough around the edges. They are coarse. They are couth. They, they, they care about little. They talk about sex. They talk about how they abuse their women. They talk about money. They steal. They rob. They, they, they take from the government, they will cheat every system known to man. And I'm still their friends. And Paul says, hey, you go in and you cross over, but you don't need, you don't need to compromise what I have in order to do that. And we gotta learn how to cross over. We gotta learn the tools. We gotta learn how to do that. <laughs> I, I have a, a little tip, I am so out of time. Um, I have a thing that I say, oh, I wish. When someone's giving me a hard time and they, they start telling you a spiel, I say, oh, man, I wish you had my strength right now. I, what, what do you mean, John? You wish I'd, I, honestly, I wish you had my strength right now. Hey, what do you mean, John? I think they've just told me all that. You just told me all this trouble. So I wish you had my peace right now. What do you mean your peace? I, I wish that you could understand what I feel when you're going through this. I, I just wish. Well, well, stop wishing and tell me what it is. No, I can't tell you. If I tell you, you're not like it. What, what do you mean? Because if you've got strength and you've got peace and you've got hope, why aren't you telling me it? Well, you're not going to like it. You make them hungry. Well, well, well try me. Okay, God gives me my peace. I told you I weren't going to like it. But I wish you had my peace. I wish you had my strength. I wish you had the hope that I have. Number four, good fishermen expect a catch. If you don't go out there and your apathy says, I've tried this for 20 years and I haven't caught a single fish, I'm giving up. I'm throwing the rod in the water. Can I tell you something as a fisherman? Some nights the fish just don't bite and you can throw everything at them. Sometimes they don't bite. But sometimes, and these are magic nights, you just get the right fly and you hammer fish galore. 
Can I tell you, if I get one of those nights a year, I feel I have achieved my fishing season galore. But the many nights I stand throwing that rod and that line across that road and you get these wee nips like this. You're like, oh yeah, we get. Just nip at you. They get in the, they call, we call it nippy mode. And every fisherman are just down the river and all you can hear is the swear language all the way down the river as they were getting nipped and not catching anything. And then there's just a night, just like that, they turn. And before you know it, if you've got the right fly in front of their nose, they will hammer it all night. Let me tell you something, that's a four o'clock in the morning session, that's what that is. Because when they're on, they are on. But if I've done it for 20 years and I haven't had a night like that, you'll give up. Simon Peter threw the nets over the side, get a bit, nah, I've been out all night, I haven't caught anything. You'll want to give up. Please don't. Follow the Lord. We've got to find a new way of doing this. And number, number five and lastly, come on ahead, Joshua Mark. Good fishermen are, patients, are patient if they don't get a catch immediately. Paul says, I become just about every sort of servant there is in attempts to lead those I meet in the God-saving life. I did this because of the message. Everybody say message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Paul adapted, readapted, figured out new nets, figured out new techniques, figured out new methodology to fish. There is a multiple group and way to catch fish. You can catch them by nets. Sometimes people have those big trawlers, which we hate, out in Donegal that just scoop up half the sea. Millions and millions and millions of fish get caught. And then there's other people with nets and maybe you went to the seaside and you got your little sticklebacks and you caught them in a little tiny net. Teach your kids how to fish. The amount of times my son, my, my son goes in a month's time to the World, World Junior Fly Fishing Championships representing Ireland. And... Um, but one of the things that I do know is that that son of mine, 18, has spoken to more people. There's a guy in our church, Andy, some of you know him, Andy McClellan. Ethan basically led the man to the Lord, counseled him on the side of the river. Andy's going on 30. He's years older than him. And my son has became a fisher of men. They call me John the Baptist down the river. You know, go and talk to John the Baptist. The amount of them shimming up to me, going, John, can I talk to you? You see, it's just having an open heart and, and actually taking time. I think there's probably five fishermen who have become Christians in the last three or four years in our church. These people should not be in our church because they don't fit. They just don't fit the bracket. And yet, you know what I love about our church? From top to bottom, inside out, we've got every people group, every demography and every group of people. I had so much more to share with you this morning, but another time. Do you get the picture? I want to leave you inspired. We need to grow I don't want to, Bill Johnson said, I didn't come here to grow a big church. I came here to grow a big people. And there's truth in that. I, I want to grow a big people, but I want to grow people who are passionate about the lost in a church world today that don't give a stuffing about the lost. I've become apathetic. I want you to pray a prayer with me today. It's a prayer I pray that costs me every, every time I pray. I hate it because it, 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 it costs me. I started a church having no clue how to be a pastor. I'm doing it about 15 years now and I'm still not sure I have a clue. 
I'm better than I was then, that is for sure. But I didn't start a church to have a nice group of Christians about me. I started a church to train 200 people how to take my hometown to Jesus. How to give young people something more than they had. Because I was one of those young people in my hometown in Antrim. And there was nothing to do for young people. And I wanted to build a church that had something going on morning and night in it that those young people could come to. And I'm so proud of what our church has achieved, but I'm not happy. Because right now I've got 200 people and that means I've got 201 problems. Because trying to get Christians to get out of their fortress and go to war is actually the hardest battle that I have right now. We've lost the art of going after the lost. And the Lord, dang it, the Lord won't take it off me. I wish the heck he would, but he won't. And at heart, I, I planted churches as an evangelist. And if I can leave anything with you today, is please recapture the heart of the Lord for a lost world. Thank you.